Judge not that you be not judged. Let me take a bit of a poll this morning. If you've ever heard those words, raise your hand. I'll raise them high if, you, if you've heard it, higher, higher. Okay, that, that's a lot of people if you look around. I mean, it's not a scientific poll, but I think we get the idea. It's not surprising. The Sermon on the Mount is full of famous phrases. Go the extra mile. Pay the last penny. Don't blow your own horn. Do unto others what you'd want them to do unto you. Be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. But this verse 1 might be the most famous of them all. Could these be the most famous words in all of the Bible? We've all memorized them whether we've tried to or not. And when we feel judged, we raise the Matthew 7-1 card. Don't judge me. Jesus said, you can't judge me. Now, they resonate with us because every single one of us knows a thing or two about judging, whether we freely admit it or not. When we find someone different than us, they look different, they sound different, act different, think different, we find something we don't like about them, we make a judgment about them. First Samuel says God looks at the heart, but we tend to focus on the externals. And without knowing someone's heart, we form critical opinions about them. We make inaccurate or exaggerated claims and freely share our unresearched findings with others. After all, we need to get the word out as a prayer request, right? Those people really need our prayers. Did you hear about so-and-so? I mean, wow, can you believe what they did? We need to pray for Sam and Susie. Now, wherever you're from in the world, whatever your background is, we all put our judgy pants on one leg at a time. Now, all of us struggle with this. If you don't, you just don't see it as a struggle. You may be judging me right now for saying that we all have issues with judging. If you don't see you're judgy, then you're just blind to your judgmental heart. Now, Jesus tells us to watch out for our judging attitudes, and he gives us a way forward in our judging, and he gives us two points. So there's two points from the text this morning if you're taking notes. Number one, Jesus is going to tell us to be careful in our judging, to be careful in our judging, and number two, to be tender with our judging. Be careful and be tender. Well, first, be careful in your judging. Verse one again, judge not that you be not judged. Now that judge language there, it's not describing a court trial or even an admonition. It's also not a prohibition from evaluating right and wrong. Philippians 3, Galatians 6, Hebrews 3 tell us that we as Christians have to judge between right and wrong. That's what we do. Believers are also to practice judgment in church discipline. Matthew 18, 1 Corinthians 5. Now judging here is neither of those things. Jesus has in mind a different kind of judging, one that comes with looking down on someone with a superior attitude. It's criticizing or condemning a person without loving concern. And we'll see that the key component is an absence of love. 
There is a time for judging. We'll see that at the end of our passage. Later on in Matthew 7, we'll see that we're to, to watch out, to look out for false teachers. No, we're called to call out cults for their theological error. We're called to rebuke someone for theological deviation from the truth. We're called to rebuke someone in love for their sin. But we hold back on final judgments because that's God's job. And we don't presume to know what we don't know. That's above our pay grade. We're careful with our judging. If not, there's a danger to us. Verse 2, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. There's a double meaning here. Those who pass judgment will actually find that they're getting similar judgment back on them. Now, what goes around comes around. If you're a judgy person, you'll be surrounded by judgy people. You judge others, you're going to have that same judgment coming back on you. And that judgment will be warranted because if you're a judgy person, you probably deserve the judgment. Verse 3 why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Now, a speck is the, the tiniest, tiniest of little objects, so small, it can actually fit in your eye. A log was just a big piece of, of wood, a main beam and a floor or a roof. And that pronoun you here is emphatic. It puts the emphasis on the contrast. We're excellent at picking up the faults of others. We're rock stars at noticing other people's problems, but we're terrible at seeing ourselves. Well, the point is, you're even worse than the one you're judging. You think you see something small, but you have a bigger problem. It's a, it's a humorous picture. It's someone who's fully blind, someone who's got a log blocking their eyes, trying to help someone with a minor disability of a speck. Well, that blind person doesn't even know he's blind, but somehow they can see that little tiny itty bitty little speck in another's eye. No, it's impossible, and that's the point. That's what Jesus is saying here. You don't see clearly. Before we pass judgment, we need to deal with our own eyesight first. Well, Jesus is showing us something about ourselves. We have an ignorance of our own issues, but an arrogant presumption of others, especially their faults. We can't see, but we think we can see. Now, we all have examples of this. You may have heard just the, the, the common kind of famous story of the dad on the train. He's there with his kids, and the kids are just going crazy. They're running up and, and down the aisles of the train. They're being really loud. They're causing a big racket. They're disturbing the people around them. So much so people are starting to, to get really angry at these kids and, and don't understand why this dad can't control his kids in this public place. And one lady speaks up to the dad angrily about not taking care of his kids. And the dad says with a sad face, responding to her and says that they're returning home from his wife's funeral, that the kids had just buried their mother. No one on the train knew, just judging what they saw without knowing the reality. 
I have many stories of my own with my disability from the nerve disorder in my arms. I've been yelled at by, by airport security guards for not helping with my family's luggage. I've been ridiculed by old ladies in a parking lot for letting my wife get in my door and for putting our luggage in the car herself. And I always share about my handicap in membership class because I want people in the church to know that about me and I want them to pray for me and pray for healing. I share about my pain and how I can't shake hands, how I avoid crowds, which is why I don't stand kind of in that foyer area after the service because one little bump of either of my elbows sends mind-numbing pain in my body. I can't stand in the back, can't shake hands. I'd love to. I just physically can't, so that's why I stay up here afterwards, always happy to, to talk to anyone who comes up. And so I'm sharing about that in a membership class a couple of years ago, and right afterwards, there's a break time in the membership class, and one man walked up to me rather quickly uh, and said that he came to me to apologize. He said he was sorry because he had been judging me in his heart and condemning me. He said he was offended that I wouldn't shake his hand and that he was really angry with me. He said he was sorry he didn't know. Well, isn't that true? We just don't know. We just don't know what's going on in someone else's life. There's always something more going on behind the scenes that we just can't see with our own eyes. But that doesn't stop us from making judgments. I mean, Jesus tells us here in the passage, you're blind and you don't even know it. You think you can see, but there's a log blocking your sight. Now, I know this is true of me. I know I've made judgments about other people. I've made judgments even about other churches that weren't necessarily true. I just, I just thought them in my mind and I've passed judgment on them. I've passed on gossip. I've even exaggerated things. I've had judgmental thoughts. But here's what Jesus is saying. This is why this is included here in Matthew chapter 7. It's not a question of whether you put your judgy pants on each day. Oh, friend, it's really a question of, of, of how do you do it? Well, we all pass judgment. Maybe we judge the person who we think has too many kids, or we judge the person who has no kids. Maybe we judge the older single person or we judge the younger married couple. We judge the obese or the skinny, the rich or the poor. We judge our coworkers or our bosses. We judge those from certain nationalities. When we do that, we're exaggerating others' possible faults while minimizing the gravity of our own. We gloat in our self-righteousness and avoid the humility of honest introspection. When you, when you look for specs and put people down, what we're really doing is we're trying to elevate ourselves. We're trying to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. We're trying to make ourselves feel like we're better than that other person. It gives us a little, little, little boost of confidence. If there's a problem in our lives, well, it can't be our problem. It's got to be our spouse or our friend or our boss or our coworker or an, our classmate, maybe our partner for the project. It's their fault. We start judging the people around us before we see that there's a log in our own eye. At the end of the day, we don't make good spec inspectors. Well, how can we? we, we, we we've got this log before our eyes. 
It means we're making assumptions about something that we haven't seen. Well, there's no way we can actually offer any help to others in that state. So verse 4, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? Now, I don't wear contacts. I've never really worn glasses, but my wife has contacts. My, uh, many of my friends do, and I've noticed there are times when all of a sudden they just start touching their eyes. They start rubbing their eyes. They're burning. There's something, something bothering them, and they take out their contact lens. They're, they're just bothered by, by, by a speck, and they have to take the contact lens out. They clean it. There's a, a solution to clean it, and then all of a sudden they say they, 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 they got it. And I'm thinking, got what? I, I, don't, I don't see anything, but it, it was a speck a tiny little speck that was irritating to them that they had to remove and get out. Well, here's the funny scene that Jesus is painting here. It's of a blind person who doesn't know they're blind trying to do the intricate, delicate work of trying to get a speck of dirt out of someone's eye. Now, it's hard enough for someone to get a speck out of their own eye when they know where it is. And Jesus is saying, imagine then you as a blind person trying to get the tiniest particle. That's what a speck is. It's the tiniest thing imaginable. How can a blind person get that out? It's impossible. It's ridiculous. And yet Jesus is telling us that that's exactly what we try to do when we pass unfair judgment. And that's the reason you don't see any blind eye surgeons out there. You know, if you had an eye problem, you wouldn't go see a blind person to operate on you. You know, they'd be stabbing your eye, poking it, hurting it more. Not only would they not get the speck out, but they'd cause more damage. Jesus says there's another way. Not only should we be careful with our judgment, we need to be tender with our judgment. That's the second point of our passage today. Be careful, and then number two, be tender. Verse 5. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. First, get your priorities right. Deal with the log in your own eye. That's the helper's first priority. You want to help others, help yourself. I mean, you're a hypocrite if you don't take care of your own problems, but only point out other people's problems. Jesus isn't saying the speck isn't important. You can read it there. He's not saying that, but you can't help the speck until you've corrected yourself. Jesus isn't condemning criticism or correction, but rather correction of others when we've not first corrected ourselves. You know, on airplanes, when they do the safety video, they talk about what happens in the case of an emergency. And they always say, without fail, that when the oxygen masks fall in the case of an emergency, if you're a mother or a father, what do they tell you? They, they, they tell you to take that mask and to put it on yourself first, right? Then after you have the mask on, then you can attend to your children. No, it's not because you don't love your children. It's not because you love yourself the most, more than them. It's because you need to breathe in order to help them out. You need to take care of yourself so you can assist them. That's what Jesus is saying here. Well, friends, we need to take that log out of our own eyes. Then we can help others. So how do we do that? How do we take the log out? Well, I'm glad you asked. Here's a few things we can do first. 
before you pass judgment, see if what you're judging that person on is true of you. You've probably heard the saying, it takes one to know one. Well, we can more easily spot at others what's already true of us. So before you rebuke another, check your own life. Ask your friends. Ask your friends who really know you to honestly speak into your life. Do you have any friends like that? Do you have any mentors who speak into your life? If not, maybe it's because you get defensive or angry when you're confronted. How are people going to tell you the truth if you're too scary to rebuke? And we all know people like this. Maybe we're like this. You've made yourself unrebukable. You're too scary, and people are afraid of your reaction to them. They're afraid to tell you hard things because they know that that you're the type of person that's going to blow up. Maybe they've seen you blow up before. Maybe they've had bad experiences and they're afraid. You're, You're very opinionated. You're always right. You've always got an excuse or a quick comeback. Maybe they've brought stuff up before and you quickly turn the tables and make it their fault. No, instead, ask people to speak into your life. And when they do... Here's a little tip. Just be quiet and, and listen. And instead of getting defensive, maybe ask some follow-up questions. Help me to understand how this makes you feel. Help me to understand the nature of my sinful response. Even if it's hard to hear, listen, listen well. If someone rebukes you, thank them for caring for you enough to speak up. Now, we realize with any rebuke, it might not be 100% true, but I guarantee it's probably not 0% true either. So listen well. Maybe there's someone who's been speaking into your life, but you haven't been listening. Has God been speaking through another person and you've just missed it? Well, listen up. Examine your life. And and here's something we can all just do. Just take some time to step back and examine your own life, to think about your days, to think about your last week, last month, to think about your interactions with different people, to think about your relationships. Well, Jonathan Edwards, the great 18th century theologian, wrote a series of resolutions, a, a list of things that he was resolved to do in his life. And number 60 goes like this, resolved. Whenever my feelings begin to appear in the least out of order, when I'm conscious of the least uneasiness within or the least irregularity without, I will then subject myself to the strictest examination. Well, friends, imagine this. What would our lives be like if we spent as much time and as much energy examining our own lives like we did examining others' lives? I think if we did that... We'd have a real spiritual revolution in our hearts. We'd grow in our relationship with Christ, but I think we'd also be far kinder and gentler with others. Instead of looking at others with suspicion, we'd look at others with an eye towards grace. A Redeemer Church, how about instead of being speck inspectors, we looked for evidences of grace in others? Instead of simply resisting gossip, what if our community was marked by a joyful practicing of affirmation? Instead of pointing out people's faults, what if we were grace reporters? 
What if we look for evidences of grace and report it on those things? Instead of spreading assumptions and gossip, we spread stories of grace. And when it was time to rebuke one another, what if we did it with a real tenderness and a real love and a real care and a real affection? Because the way to get out a speck from someone's eye is to do it really gently. Because as soon as you touch an eye, what happens? It closes, it closes shut to protect itself. You have to be patient. And spiritually, it's the same thing. You have to be delicate in caring for the soul of another. We have to be humble. We have to watch our own hearts, know our own sins. We're tender in our approach, but we're also tender in our timing and forcefulness. Look at verse 6. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Well, this is interesting. Jesus has been saying, don't judge others, and now he calls somebody a dog and a pig. I thought Jesus said, we can't judge anyone, but now he's calling names. Now, remember again what Jesus has in mind by judging. There is a time and there is a place for it. And here, in this case, Jesus is giving us two very short parallel parables in verse 6. Dogs and pigs in this day were the, the most despised animals. Many cultures today, they're, they're still deemed quite dirty. These animals have no sense of the value of what's holy and precious. They're not discerning, and so dogs would rip up a, a precious item. Pigs don't recognize the value of a pearl. They might just stomp on it and trample it. And Jesus is labeling in this parable, he's labeling those who despise the kingdom and its values as dogs and pigs, as those who, who just don't, don't get the truth. Here's the picture Jesus is drawing. Y you give your animals something very, very valuable, but they just can't digest it. They, they, they bite into it. They choke on it. They don't like it. It's not fulfilling. They don't understand. They try to eat it, but it's not good for eating. They don't, they don't like it, and so they trample on it. They turn to attack you. Why? Well, you've given them something of value, but they don't want it. They haven't recognized it. In this case, what's holy and the pearl represents truth. It represents First, the truth you've confronted the person with. But like dogs and pigs, they're not in a position to receive it. They can't handle what you've given them, and they may even attack you for it. And Jesus is not judging the animals. Do you notice that? He's judging the one who is interacting and confronting and approaching the animals. It's the confronter. The animals, they're just, they're just responding according to their nature. They can't perceive Jesus is saying, don't impatiently push in your confrontation of the truth. Be, be gentle, be tender. There needs to be patience with the pace of God's work in a person's life. If you're going to rebuke someone, don't pile it on in an ungracious way. Appeal to them in love. There has to be both truth and love. Author Tim Chester has written, Love without truth is like doing heart surgery with a wet fish. But truth without love is like doing heart surgery with a hammer. You can certainly apply the, the same thing to the, to the eye. There, there has to be truth. And it may hurt, but we don't take the hammer. 
We don't take the hammer on someone. We pray for that person. We pray for our interactions with them. And we go to them with a broken heart, with a sincere and deep love. And perhaps the greatest way, to, way we confront someone is with the truth of the gospel. It's the loving correction of the one who doesn't believe in Jesus. The ultimate truth of that pearl in verse 6 points to is the good news of Jesus. Matthew 13 calls the pearl of great price the gospel of the kingdom of God and the good news that saves. If you love Jesus and you treasure him, the gospel is a pearl to you. Jesus is a, a pearl to you. Jesus is beautiful to you. Your heart is melted by his beauty. But if you don't see him as the pearl, if you don't see him as infinitely precious and beautiful, then that pearl will be nothing to you. You'll, you'll trample on it. The point of this parable, friends, is we don't beat someone down with a hammer, either in your rebuke of their sin or in rebuke of their sin of unbelief. We don't do it in a way that people can't digest it. If they don't see that pearl as precious, you don't keep throwing that pearl over and over and over again. You stop giving that dog what is holy. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't rebuke the unrebukable. You try, you talk to them. Doesn't mean we don't share the gospel with non-believers. Of course we do it. We do it faithfully. But we do it gently, and we don't keep beating them with it. Jesus is not telling us to stop sharing or confronting certain kinds of people. But he is saying, after repeated and sustained rejections, whether it's gospel preaching or rebuke, we don't keep forcing the gospel on someone. This is what Jesus said when he sent his 12 disciples out on their first mission. He said to go to town, from town to town, to go from house to house. And he said, after you preach the gospel faithfully in that house, if they don't respond, well, you, you, you keep banging on the door over and over again, shouting it for days and days and days. No, that's not what he says. He says, if they rejected, well, go out, shake the dust off of your feet, and then go to the next house, and then go to the next house, and then leave one city and go to the next city. It's because no one was ever won into the kingdom by argument. You're never going to bring anybody into the Christian faith by arguing with them over and over again. Nobody's going to see the love of Jesus because you argued them into the corner. We can't change someone's heart. And so we share the truth. We share the truth faithfully. This is a call to bold evangelism. This is a call to bold rebuke, but we know we can't change hearts. And so we do it gently. We do it faithfully. And we pray. We ask for God's work. And we know that that person in your life who is dealing with unrepentant sin, we know that God can change their hearts. You may think there's no way they're going to turn away from the world and turn to Jesus. You may also have non-Christians in your life who are so far from God that you think it's, it'd be a miracle if they're saved. There's just no way they despise Jesus. They're so ingrained culturally into their own religion. There's no way they could leave that religion and, and, and worship Jesus. There's, there's no way it would be a miracle for them to believe. And friend, if, if that's you, if that's what you're thinking, I, I agree with you. It would be a miracle because that's what salvation is. How do we know that God can work a miracle? How do we know that God can save that person or bring that friend and unrepentant sin back to Jesus? You know how we know he can do that. 
because he's done that for you and me. We know that God took us who were dead and gave us new life. Fellow Christian, brother and sister in Christ, if you know Jesus, God took you while you were a sinner, while you were dead, and he gave you new life. He caused you to be born again. That's a miracle. That's the greatest miracle. We know God can change everyone's heart because thankfully God was patient with us. Thankfully, God waited for us. Thankfully, God doesn't judge us like we judge others. Thankfully, Christ loved us and died for us while we were still sinners. Christ paid the penalty for our sins, and on the third day, he was raised from the dead. We deserved that death. We had judged God not to be worthy of our praise. We had looked to this world to satisfy our hearts. We wanted to be the judge and the jury of our lives, and we thought we knew better than God. God had no speck in his eye, but we thought we knew better even though we had a log in our eyes. We were blind, but thought we could see. But God so loved us that he removed that log of wood, and he forgave us through the death of his son on another piece of wood. That old rugged cross enables us to see clearly who we are and who God is. With that wooden cross, there's reconciliation to him, and there's reconciliation to others. My friend, if you're here and you don't yet follow Jesus, he can transform your life if you repent of your sins and trust in him to save you. Oh, would you do that today? God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. And fellow Christian, Redeemer Church, we're far from a finished product. I was very convicted preparing for this Sermon. I know I have a long way to go, but God can give us grace to look at others with love and compassion. Let's not be a community of spec inspectors, but of grace reporters. Let's look out for the good of others. And would we dwell together in spirit, in faith, and in unity? Let's pray together. Oh, Father, would you help our church be marked by love and gentleness? Would we stop being judgy and instead be reporters of grace? Would we be grace reporters looking for evidences of grace in each other's lives? Would we rebuke one another in love, first taking the log out of our own eyes and then looking to help our brother or sister in Christ with the speck in theirs? Oh, would we approach one another with motives of love, with the goal of your glory? And as we look at those in our lives, the sin of unbelief, would we boldly share the gospel, but would we do it with a real tenderness and care and love and affection, trusting that you change hearts? Oh, Father, help us to do this, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.